I just want to read you guys the Christmas story, and I want to tell you guys one thing. And I, in my Bible at home, um, of course, this is the Bible I preach out of, so it's not written there. But in the Bible at home, um, it's a single column, and it's written very much in a narrative style, so everything just flows like you're reading any other book. But I have written in there, and I actually wrote it last night, that he didn't have to. That's I wrote, he didn't have to, but he chose to. And it's just like Mike doing the exhortation this morning. He said, if you've got it, we've got it. That was a good word. It's a very good word. Um, if God's got it, we've got it. And he didn't have to. So I want to read you guys the Christmas story. We're not going to be fancy. We're not going to be elaborate. We're just going to read the Christmas story because where's the real power at? It's not in my preaching. It's not in my exposition. It's not in my teaching. It's not in how smart I am or how eloquent I am. The real power is in the Word of God. So we're going to be simple, and we're just going to read the Word, and we're going to talk for just a second. So you don't have to take notes. You don't have to just listen. In Luke chapter 2, the birth of Jesus Christ. Now leading up to this event, a lot of things had happened. Zechariah was a priest. He'd went in the temple and he was going to minister before the Lord and he encountered an angel. And this shocked him because they were going through the motions. They were going through the phases. They were just going through the signs and just worshiping an empty temple. God's presence wasn't there anymore. The Ark of the Covenant wasn't there anymore. There was nothing in that temple going on. They were just fulfilling an empty law so that they could say that they were filling an empty law. So he goes in there and then suddenly he has an encounter with an angel. And it blows his mind. It catches him off guard. The angel tells him that he's going to give birth to a son, and he doubts the angel. They have a discussion. The angel makes him mute, and that was the prophecy of John the Baptist coming, who's going to be a forerunner for Jesus. Likewise, at the same time, a few months later, an angel appears to a woman named Mary and says she's going to conceive. And she says, How's this possible? See, John said, how is this possible? I mean, Zacharias said, how is this possible? Because we're too old. And Mary said, how is this possible? Because I've, I'm not married. I've never been with a guy. I can't, I can't do that. I've, I mean, come on, we're all adults here. We've never done the deed so that we can have the child. And, but Mary chooses to believe, and so she trusts Gabriel. She's not married yet, so her husband naturally freaks out a little bit. I mean... If you're soon to be, comes to you and says, Hey, I'm pregnant, but you've never done anything. You're going you're gonna to be casting some looks. I mean, anyway. But Joseph has an angel appear to him in a dream and comforts him and says, Look, this is of God. This child is of God. She's telling you the truth. Go ahead and marry her. And so Joseph decides that he's going to follow through with that. Now all of this stuff is going on, just setting the stage. And that's where we're at in Luke chapter 2. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first register, registration when Quirinius, what a name, was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. 
And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is called Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherd had told them. But Mary treasured all these things up, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. So look. That's all the reading I'm going to do, and I just want to talk to you guys for just a second. Mike did the announcements this morning, and during his exhortation, he said that he had felt like he was going to talk about peace. No, he said he was going to talk about childlike faith. I'm sorry. But then they had a situation come up, and God answered their situation, and he had a revelation through that moment by a conversation with his mother. If she's got it, I've got it. If God's got it, I've got it. Right? There's a verse, Psalm 31 7. It's one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. And it simply says something along these lines. It says, You have seen my affliction. You have been with me in my trouble. And it goes on to say some other stuff too. When God seen the children of Israel in Egypt during the days of Moses, and he appears to Moses in the burning bush. The thing that he says to Moses is, he said, I've seen the affliction of my people and I've heard their cry and I'm going to deliver them. When Israel had violated the covenant with God, had broken the law, had transgressed the covenant, had mingled their Jewish faith with idols, when they had slandered the law, the Ark of the Covenant was no longer there. They were just going through the motions and they were satisfied with their righteous appearance and their empty hearts and all of that stuff. And there was unrighteousness and wickedness and sin all over the place. God looks and He sees the affliction of His people. He sees that the righteous have nowhere to go because no one is righteous. No, not one. He sees that people are hurting and there's this system isn't doing it for them. He sees the pain. He sees the sin. He sees the weight. He sees that there's no way for them to make it back to God. He sees that there's no way for them to make it to heaven. He sees that there's no way for them to have relationship with Him outside of what He's about to do. He sees their error. He sees their struggle. He sees their pain. He sees their sickness. He sees their weakness. He sees all of that affliction. God's not blind. He sees it. And so what He does and what He had always planned to do was send Christ Jesus the Lord. And I know that we have theological perspectives all over the place where people say that Jesus was born on this day and not this day and there's all these different varying arguments. I don't care about any of that. Because regardless of whether or not we celebrate it on December 25th or we celebrate it on April or we celebrate it in September or whenever we celebrate it, the point is, is that Christ came. 
regardless if we want to argue about was he really in a stable or was it a manger attached to a guest house, regardless of whether or not we want to debate these, these trifling things, the point is, is that God, infinite, that means without end, infinite, there is no finite to it, there is no restrictions to it, it's unending. You know, we, my kids watch Toy Story, they love it, and Buzz Lightyear, how many can say it? To infinity and beyond. To infinity, meaning no end, no limit, no stopping. Infinite, eternal, all-consuming, all-providing, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present, decides that He's going to take all that He is and reduce it. Wesley says this, he says, God, the infinite, reduced to a span, incomprehensibly made man. All that God is, He reduced it down to a child that depended upon its mother to care for it and to feed it and to provide for it and then went through all the struggles all the temptations all the afflictions of us lived a perfect life and gave himself as a sacrifice all of that so that we could have relationship with him all of that because he saw what we were like without him he saw what the end of man was without Jesus. He saw what the end of man would be without a Savior. He saw what the end of man would be without a healer, what the end of man would be without a deliverer, what the end of man would be without Him intervening. And so what Mike said this morning was so prevalent because he saw all that and he did something about it. What he had, he gave. He didn't have to. That's the, that's the greatest thing about the Christmas story to me is he didn't have to. He chose to. When Adam sinned in the garden, Eve, Adam and Eve, when they sinned in the garden in the fall, he could have just struck them dead and left them alone. When Cain killed Abel, he could have just struck them dead. After the flood, he could have decided not to save Noah. He could have let the whole world die. Moses, he could have left the children of Israel in their slavery and left them in Egypt. He could have chose not to send Jesus. He could have let man live out their days in sin and iniquity and death and in sorrow and die and go to hell and burn for all of eternity. He could have let that happen. He didn't have to send Jesus. There is no overruling standard over God that says you have to do this. He chose to do it. And that should be so reassuring for us because in our situation, He can intervene. He doesn't have to, but He chooses to. So many times I've been in the exact same situation that you guys dealt with. And every one of us has been in a very similar situation to that. Every one of us has come to a place where we need help. Every one of us has come to a place where we're hurting. Every one of us has come to a place where we're battling sickness. We're battling relationship problems. We're battling friends attacking us. We're battling money problems. Every one of us, are, sometimes we're battling emotional struggles and mental problems. We're down in the state of depression and we can't get out. We don't know what's going on. We don't know what's coming tomorrow. We don't know what we're going to do to get out of the situation that we found ourselves in. And sometimes it's not our fault. Sometimes the circumstances are outside of our control. Sometimes there's absolutely nothing that we can do about it. It just happens and we get in that straight. We get in that situation situation and there's not a thing that we can do about it. All we can do is look up and say, God, please choose to intervene in this situation. Please choose to help me. Please. 
And the greatest thing about it is because if we watch and we study the Bible and we look through and we see the character of God, that He is good and that He is loving and that He is merciful and that He is compassionate, then we can come to this place where we understand that He's going to choose to help us every time. And it may not be the help the way that we pictured it. It may not be the end result that we think is going to come. But God will intervene because He chooses to. He delivers us because He delights in us. He redeems us because He loves us. He desires relationship with us. He chooses to. So when we're hurting, we can look at God and we can say, I know by no other standard other than the standard that they talked about of the coming of Jesus, that little poem, a priest and a king and a savior all in one. I think that was what it said. I don't know. All in one coming. The great news is that a priest, a king, a savior came. And he didn't go anywhere. Sure, he lived his life. He was crucified. But he rose from the dead and he ascended on high and he sent the very spirit of himself to dwell within every born-again believer so that we have access to that same power. What He has, we have. That's a good word, Mike. I'm going to keep hounding on that. That was a good word. What He has, we have. He came. He chose to come. And so when you're looking at your situation, whatever it may be, if you're facing a sickness that you can't win and the outlook doesn't look good, the results don't look good. The reports don't look good. You can hold this standard. God, I know because You sent Jesus that whatever these reports say, whatever this natural circumstances say, whatever the end result is in this life, whether it works out the way that I want it to or not, whatever that is, I know that You're good and that You choose to be good to me every time. If it's financially and you're looking at your bank account and it sucks. Well, there's no other word for that. It sucks. There's no other word that a pastor should say from the pulpit. It sucks when you're looking at your bank account and there's too many zeros with not enough numbers in front of them. That sucks. And it sucks when you're looking and you see bills coming out before paychecks coming in. It sucks. That's a tough feeling. It's a very tough feeling. But you can look at the standard of Christmas. You can look at the standard of Jesus coming and you can say that because He came, because He didn't leave us in our afflicted state, He didn't leave us in the direction of hell, He didn't leave us without a Savior. He didn't leave us alone when we, we should have been left alone. Because let's be honest, if a person did to you half the things that you do to God, You'd have walked out on them a long time ago. You'd have walked out on them a long time ago. If you had a person that you called your friend, or even more intimately, that you called your spouse and they never talked to you, everything that you said, they never paid attention to, they disregarded things that you had said in the past, they never spent any time with you whatsoever, they did things that intentionally did things that were against your desires and your preference. For example, Many of us, we watch things that God abhors that are abominations before God and we watch them, we read them, we talk about them, we enjoy them. Just put yourself in that situation. Faith has things that she hates. She hates bugs. 
And if I suddenly started collecting live roaches, those giant ones that everybody has that you just can't seem to kill or get rid of, if I just started collecting them and put a aquarium full of them or an insectarium full of them on our bedside end table, I wouldn't be a very good husband. Occasionally open the top and let a few of them out. I'd be dead. You guys would have to find a new pastor. But the equivalent of that is some of the things that we do to God because God is in our presence. We're saying that we have the Spirit of God and then everything that we do and everything that we choose to do, we continually do things that God hates. And we continue to do that. And He doesn't walk out on us. He doesn't leave us. He doesn't forsake us. He doesn't drop us off the face of the earth and condemn us to hell. At least not yet. There will come a day where all of that happens. But right now, while you still draw breath, you still have the opportunity to repent and to say, Jesus, You came when You didn't have to. You chose to come. You chose to save. You chose to redeem. You chose to heal. You chose to bring peace and goodwill all across the earth through the manifestation and the coming of Your Son. You chose to do that, Jesus. So because you chose to do that, I'm going to choose to do etc., etc. I'm going to choose to live my life in a way that glorifies you. I'm going to choose to live my life in a way that's pleasing to you. I'm going to choose to be the man or the woman or the child or the person that you've called me to be because I want you, Jesus. Many times we've had conversations with people that are just now getting saved, that are just now coming to repentance in the Lord Jesus Christ, and it always goes about the same way. I say it always, every time is different, but there's one common trending thing that people tend to have a trouble overcoming is the fact of how can somebody take all of my bad and pay for it and I don't have to pay a penalty myself. It's always something that you, de- you deal with when you're leading people to the Lord is it's hard for us to get our minds around that substitutionary aspect of Christ. And yes, I'm talking about the crucifixion on Christmas because if it wasn't for the crucifixion, then Christmas wouldn't mean a whole lot to us. I mean, it'd be a cool fact that we celebrate that God became man and lived on the earth and walked among us. That'd be a cool fact. But we'd still be damned to hell for all of eternity. It had to have the cross. The cross gives Christmas its power. Christmas made the cross possible. And the resurrection was the exclamation point on all of it. See, we have to have the cross for Christmas to matter. And so that's why it's not just about Him being born, but it's about what He did. Because babies are born every day. Not always in a miraculous, and there's only one immaculate conception, but babies are born every day. That's not what this is about. This is about Him coming, Him choosing to come, knowing what He was choosing when He came. When He came, He chose the cross. He knew the whole life of Jesus was leading up to the cross. Everything that He did was an arrow pointing directly towards the sacrifice that He was going to make. Constantly, He told His parents, I must be about my Father's business. He told His disciples that the temple must be torn down and rebuilt in three days. I must give my life for a ransom for all men. I didn't come to call the righteous, but to call sinners to repentance. Constantly, He was pointing towards the day when He would live His... He would live the end of His life on that cross and that He would give His life as a ransom and that He would take it up again and that He would be resurrected to overcome death, hell, and the grave. All of that is contained in the celebration of Christmas. All of it. All of it. 
Because if we're just celebrating God coming, then we're only celebrating a piece of the story. We have to realize why He came. The intention that He had when He came. He came with the intention to redeem mankind, knowing the means that it would take to do such a feat. So when we talk to people and they're talking to us and they're saying, I just can't, I just feel like I should pay for the sins that I've done. I'm like, yes, you should. Legally, you should pay for the sins that you've done. But you can't. You can't pay for the sins. You could spend an eternity in hell and still not cover a, an iota of the sins that you've committed against God. It requires a pure, spotless sacrifice. We talk about the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. Do you realize that when a lamb is born, and it's going to be raised up to be a yearling lamb, to be a Passover lamb, which is a type of Christ, when they went from Egypt, the lamb was sacrificed and the blood was put on the door so that death couldn't come into the people. That's a type of Christ. When they had the baby, they wrapped him in swaddling clothes. And it's a picture because when a lamb was raised up to be born and sacrificed as a Passover sacrifice, they would take that lamb and they would wrap it really tightly in swaddling clothes so that when, as it was learning to walk, it wouldn't hurt itself and create a blemish. So they would wrap it really tight and lay it down and they would let it get strength and its muscles built and then they would take it and teach it how to walk so that way it would never generate a blemish. It would never hurt itself. So that way when it was a year old it would be a lamb without blemish that could be offered as a Passover sacrifice that would meet the Old Testament requirements. So even there, when they took the baby they didn't even know it, but it's very intentional that they say that they wrapped him in swaddling clothes. They wrapped him tightly in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because he was laid in the very place where the lambs were laying that were going to be Passover sacrifices and he was wrapped in the very way that they were wrapped because it, everything about his coming was predicting his death. Everything about his coming was leading up to the point when he would die and he would give his life as a ransom. And I don't mean to just keep on these facts and just say the same thing over and over again, but it's very important that you guys realize. It's very important that we realize and that we get this. When we come together for Christmas, it's not about the lights and it's not about the decorations and it's not about the presents and it's not about Santa and it's not about all of that stuff. What it's about is the fact that we have an eternally perfect, holy, righteous, transcendent God who is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Almighty God, high and lifted up, exalted above everything, inhabiting the heavens, sitting on the circle of the earth. Whatever accolade you want to ascribe to Him that's biblically given, He was so far above and so far holy and he looked down and he seen a people that couldn't do it, that couldn't make their way back to him, that deserved to be damned for all of eternity and instead of doing that, instead of enacting his wrath, instead of enacting justice and enacting his revenge, he set up through his mercy and through his love a way for man to be redeemed. So when we're celebrating Christmas, we're really celebrating God's intended plan of redemption that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed and him should not perish but have everlasting life. So when you're opening the presents and your mind is on everything else, the mall rush, Black Friday, Santa Claus, Elf on the Shelf, all that stuff, all that stuff is fine if you want to do that. But never let that distract from the love of God that is shown in Him putting on flesh 
setting aside his deity, setting aside his godness, putting on flesh, being born of a virgin, coming into this world, living a perfect life, seeing every form of temptation that you've ever faced, rejecting it all, and maintaining that perfect righteousness, and then choosing. Because he wasn't forced to. Jesus didn't have to do the cross. He could have called 12 legions of angels. He could have been spared. He could have stood before Pilate and revealed his deity and Pilate would have ran away terrified and he could have escaped all of that at any time. But there in the garden, he chose to be the sacrifice. He chose to be the atonement. He chose to be the substitution. He chose. That's the theme of Christmas is that God chose us. We don't get to just say, well, I feel like I'm at the time now I'm going to choose God. There had to be a whole lot of God choosing you before you could ever come to that point. There had to be a whole lot of God choosing you. And before the foundations of the world, before Adam and Eve were ever created, before the Garden of Eden was ever on this earth, before any of that happened, God knew. The Bible says that it was a lamb as slain before the foundation of the earth. God knew how events were going to unfold. He knew that He was going to create a people. He knew that that people was going to reject Him. He knew that He was going to send His Son, and He knew that they were going to reject His Son. They were going to mock Him. They were going to beat Him. They were going to put Him on a cross and kill Him. And God did it anyway. He didn't have to. He chose to. Why? Why, Mike? Whatever I got, you got. Exactly. Because of whatever God's got, we've got. And what God had was the priceless possession that has more infinite value than any other thing on this earth. There's a song. I love it. And it's based on the theme of Revelation. But it says, I looked in the heavens and I found none worthy. And I looked on the earth and I found none worthy. And I looked under the earth, but I found none worthy. And then he turns and he says, but behold, there was a lamb as had been slain before the foundation of the earth. He is worthy. He is the one worthy. And out of all this, there was only one that could do it, and it was God Himself. Only He could redeem mankind. And He did that through Christmas. Through coming in the form of a virgin. So we celebrate Christmas, and it's a great time. And we're going to have a great time at our party tonight. And we had a great time watching the children perform their play, their skit. And we're going to have a great time on Tuesday. I don't know what your Christmas Eve traditions are. We're going to be in pajamas and we're going to have a Christmas movie marathon all day with popcorn and snacks and coffee and hot chocolate and all that awesome stuff. And then we're going to wake up on Christmas morning and unwrap presents. And it's going to be a wonderful time. And then we're going to clean up and get rid of a bunch of old toys to make room for a bunch of new toys. And it's going to be so much fun and I'm excited. But all of that happens as a byproduct as just something that's off to the side, as the same as on a random Wednesday we go to the Discovery Museum or something like that. It's fun. It's a holiday. But it isn't the reason that we come together. It isn't the reason that we sing. It isn't the reason that we come to church. It isn't the reason that we celebrate the day. They're all good things that we do and they're fun for families, but they're not the reason. And I know that people harp on this and you have those cliche sayings is. Tis the, uh, he's the reason for the season and all of that stuff. But we can't let the clicheness 
of those sayings detract from the truth of those sayings. Just because people say, don't forget the reason for the season, doesn't mean you say, well, I've heard that a hundred times, so this year I'm going to forget the reason for the season. Like, that's absurd. But that's what we do. We don't set out to do that. We do it unintentionally by our buying as many presents as we can afford, by our going everywhere that we can, breaking the doors off the mall, standing in three-hour lines, and, and we're just so focused on what Santa going to bring you, what Christmas presents you're going to get, what we're going to do at our party. And, you know, we're so caught up in the lights and the show and the gifts and the commercialism of it all that we so often we just forget the reason for the season. We just forget that Jesus is the reason. And I'm not beating up on anybody because we do it too. We take our kids to lights. They love it. We give our kids presents. We put up a Christmas tree. And granted, our Christmas tree is kind of awesome, but we put up a Christmas tree. We do we do all of those things. I'm not saying that any of those things is inherently wrong. But drinking a coffee is not inherently wrong. Breaking your bank account on a coffee is it's pretty, it's pretty wrong when you've got bills to pay. And I know coffee is just a little one. I could say I could turn that into so many different things, but I'll just leave it there. You guys get the gist. There's many things that aren't wrong in of themselves, but when they become idols to us and they take over our lives, and that's what we've done with Christmas is we've let a day become an idol and we've treated it like an idol and we look for it and we plan our bank accounts all year long so that we can get the newest and the latest gifts so that our kids can play for it, with it for three days and then they can set it aside like every other toy. We just need to get back. That's what all this is about. It's just getting back for just a moment, just stepping back and realizing that God gave because He had. God gave because He chose to. He wasn't forced to. It was God Himself that chose to love us. It was God Himself that chose to redeem us. So this year, as we celebrate all the huff and fluff, let's just get back. Just back to the basics of Christmas. Back to the basics of that first Christmas. They had one gift. Granted, you can talk about the Magi and the wise men later, but they had one gift, and it was Jesus. And everyone was astounded. Angels sang. Shepherds came. Everyone was blown away by the things that the shepherds had seen and heard, and everyone was so astounded by that miraculous moment of Christ. They had one gift. So I just ask this year as you reflect on that, maybe even you might have your own traditions, maybe even just get your family together and read the Christmas story. Just read. Get you an easy translation. If you don't have one, go to the store and you can buy a couple dollar kids book that has it very basic. Just read the Christmas story. Just share. It doesn't matter if your kids are young or old. It doesn't matter if you don't have kids. Read it by yourself. Just reflect. It doesn't even matter if you don't believe Jesus was born on December 25th. Just reflect on the fact that He was born and He did come. And He came because He chose to. He redeemed because He chose to. And so right now, what we're going to do, and like I said, I just wanted to talk to you guys.